Subscribe to Inclusion Revolution Radio wherever you get your podcasts. How do you make a radio ad for an 8K TV that conveys the feeling of 33 million pixels with over a billion shades of color hitting your eyeballs? This is the best we can do. Samsung Neo QLED 8K. Unreasonably good. and welcome into Stacking the Box. I am Matt Verderam alongside Josh Hill, and we did it. We're finally here. It is the postseason. It's 2018. Happy New Year. And, of course, happy holidays. Hopefully you enjoyed them uh, all throughout the end of December. So, 32 teams began this journey. 12 teams are left, and maybe not the 12 teams we were expecting. Eight new teams in the playoffs. It's the most since 1990 when the league expanded the playoff field from 10 to 12 teams. So it's exciting. We're, we're going to certainly get somebody new out of the NFC. And the AFC, well, we're going to see how that plays out. We know there are some favorites, but maybe some other teams are creeping up. And Josh, I'll, I'll throw it over to you. Uh, what did you learn from Week 17? Or maybe even if you want to just, what, what did you learn from the season in general that really was unpredictable all the way through? I learned that as much as we want to crunch numbers and as much as we want to throw around analytics and I know this and that, we don't know anything. We said it before week one where it was hard to predict the games, and here we are 16 weeks later after week 17, and we have, like you said, the Los Angeles Rams in the playoffs. The Panthers and the Saints are playing a first-round matchup against each other. The Vikings are the two-seed in the Super Bowl they might host it. So it, it, we don't know anything about football. And frankly, that's good. Like there was a lot of complaints this year and injuries aside, because those were terrible and they, they definitely changed a lot of things uh, right up to the point where Carson Wentz goes down and that takes basically Philadelphia out of the running for the Super Bowl. All of that aside, this is when football's at its best. When you look at the NFC and you look at the AFC and say, hey, Buffalo and Jacksonville are playing a wild card game, that's good for football. You can make fun and say, oh, I can't believe Blake Bortles is playing in a playoff game. And I can't believe it either. And we'll see how much he actually plays or actually just shows up. But having Buffalo and Jacksonville in a wild card game together, that's good. You want that. Everybody says over and over, oh, man, the Patriots are going to win the Super Bowl. I can't believe it. Same thing in basketball. Oh, I can't believe the Warriors are going to win the finals again. It's just so boring. It's, no, it's not. You're really interested in the Greek freak in, in, in Milwaukee and watching the Knicks, your Knicks, put it together somehow. Don't do that in my face. <laughs> and Enos Cantor. But like, 18 and 18 for the Knicks is <laughs> somehow like a year they should be raising to the rafters. <laughs> but it's the same thing in football, you know? Marcus Mariota, not the best quarterback, had a down year, actually, but he's in the playoffs, you know? So, I, frankly, I think that the way things shook out this year, I couldn't be happier. The Bucks aren't in it, but, you know, I'm going to keep watching them like a rat with the electric, uh, electrocution in a maze because I just can't stop myself. But football in general. They're not a good team. Hey, look, they won nine games. They're in. And at the end of the day, they do deserve it because the Ravens, couldn't beat the Bengals at home on one of the wildest endings of a game I can remember in some time. And you know what? Some good came out of it. Andy Dalton, his charity, raised over $100,000 out of the Buffalo, New York area over the last couple of days. Yeah, that's great. That's great stuff. So for me, 
I think it's fun. I think it's exciting. The AFC, you still have Pittsburgh and New England, so you have those two stalwarts. And then you have three new teams in Jacksonville, Tennessee, and Buffalo, Kansas City back in the third consecutive year. Uh, so, you know, they're, they're kind of, I don't know if I'd say a stalwart since they haven't really won much, but they, they are familiar. Um, and they're the ones who, and we'll get to all the matches, we'll go in depth on each one of them, but they're going to kick off this weekend at 420 Eastern on ESPN. They play the Titans in Arrowhead. And then the Saturday night game is uh, in Los Angeles at the Coliseum Falcons and Rams. Sunday starts off with Jacksonville hosting Buffalo at 1 Eastern, I believe it is. I yeah. will say 105 Eastern. And then Carolina is at New Orleans to finish out Wild Card Weekend, 440 uh, Eastern time. So, that all being said, uh, the thing I, I really learned from Week 17 is kind of with Josh, like, you just don't know what's going to happen. You know, we're sitting there watching the late games. Seattle, it didn't matter. It, you know, it ended up not mattering what they did because the Falcons won, so they, they clinched 60 anyway. But, you know, who thought Seattle was going to lose it at, you know, at, the whole, at home to Arizona? And then on top of that, your Buccaneers upset the Saints. If yeah. Carolina had won, they would have won the NFC South. The Saints would have been on the road. So you would have had that whole dynamic. And in the AFC, I think everybody thought, okay, well, the Ravens, they're going to handle business at home against... Introducing Under Armour's Infinity High Sports Bra. Its ergonomic design is molded to support the natural movement of your body. With cord-out padding, the better breathability eliminates extra bulk without sacrificing support. And quick-dry padding is Under Armour's fastest-drying padding yet. When you're lifting heavy, running fast, and pushing yourself further than ever before... You need a bra that will help you go that extra mile and make you feel your best. Shop the Infinity High Sports Bra now at UA.com. Cincinnati, they play awful. Then they take the lead late and you say, okay, they're going to win. And then Cincinnati, with under a minute to go on fourth (laughs) down, no less, hits Tyler Boyd for a 40-some-odd-yard touchdown pass, and they win the game. So, for me... Football and sports is at its best when it's unpredictable, and it was certainly unpredictable not only this weekend but this year. Yeah, I, I just want to say that we said it last week about the NFL stacking all of the meaningful games in the 420 Eastern window. That was probably the best thing that's happened to football in a very long time. It was time. awesome. It was like March Madness. It, it was exactly like March Madness. I remember we turned, we were flipping back and forth between games, and at one point we had, and I hadn't seen this in a very long time because it struck me when I saw it, we flipped back to the Ravens-Bengals game, and they had a pop-up score tracker with live updates from the Jacksonville-Tennessee game, the, uh, a couple of other games that were Buffalo and Miami, and they were being live updated like that. I hadn't seen that since I was a kid. And that right there shows you that the NFL is onto something. And it also shows you the way that everybody was talking about everything, the way everybody was all up in arms about the Bills and every, how they celebrated after they won because they were in the locker room and fans stayed behind at Hard Rock in Miami to watch on the televisions at the bars. That, this is what football fandom is. Take out all the other stuff, you know, getting upset about kneeling during the anthem and getting upset about all oh, the ratings and this and that. This is football. This is why we love the game. And that, those, those 420 games is the most exciting that I've seen football in a long time. And I think, like we're saying here, good precursor to setting up what should be fantastic wild card weekend. Yeah, look, you know, I think all that's true. The one thing I, I will also say that I take away that goes kind of more toward as we head into the offseason for 20 teams, uh, we'll get into the coaching in, in just a minute here, the coaching carousel and, mm-hmm. and the Raiders are, are headlining that with what's going on with John Gruden. But, you know, 
sometimes when you watch sports long enough, you can start to see what looks to be one team kind of rising up, getting ready to go on a run, and another maybe kind of nearing the end of its era, maybe the end of its peak. I think we saw it in the NFC West. Like I talked about it in my Stack in the Box column that goes up every Monday on Fansided. I mentioned it in my parting shot section. I said, you know, I think the NFC West, which has long been dominated by Seattle, Arizona being in that mix as well, now I think we're starting to see that kind of flip. The Rams win the division. They're young. The coach is very young. I think he's a brilliant mind. Jared Goff really coming into his own. And the 49ers won five straight then the year. Has there ever been a team going into the offseason at 6-10 and 10 with more buzz around them? The 49ers look like they're going to be terrific going forward. And really, that is just starting. They have so much work to do, but yet there's so much excitement. I think Arizona and Seattle, and I want to focus on Seattle, frankly, but I think it's, it's time. Arizona's got to rebuild that roster. With Bruce Arians retiring, this is a good opportunity to do it. I think fans understand that if they have a couple of lean years here. I think the time's come. Got to move on. Maybe got to part ways with Carson Palmer. And in Seattle, I think it's, it's really time to, to blow it up. Look, Pete Carroll on Tuesday came out and said he would be shocked if Cliff Averill or Cam Chancellor ever play again. They both had neck injuries this year. It appears that, unfortunately, their careers are going to be cut short. Uh, which is really a shame for both, but especially for Chancellor. I think he was a Hall of Fame talent and, and maybe won't be remembered as such because he didn't play long enough. Um, I think Richard Sherman gets cut. Sheldon Richardson, I think he's gone. Michael Bennett, I think he's gone. Jimmy Graham, he's gone. And if I'm Seattle, I'm fine with that. Look, you got to build around Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner. Those are your two young, all-pro superstar players. And I think it's time. I think it's time to, to, to reinvest in some young talent and, and start to move toward you know, building that offensive line, rebuilding what was a great secondary, building around Earl Thomas. Although, you know, apparently he wants to be in Dallas from what he says. But, you know, if he sticks around, build around him. I think it's time for the Seahawks. They had a great run. They won a Super Bowl. They went to two. But I think it's time to move on. And speaking of moving on, we'll just segue right into it. You know, let's get to the coaches before we go deep into the playoff stuff. A uh, handful of teams looking for new coaches, but let's face it, the Raiders are the ones that everybody's talking about, and they're the one that's looking but not really looking for a head coach. Fire Jack Del Rio basically as he walked off the field <laughs> in Los Angeles. And John Gruden's going to go there for what is reportedly $10 million a year and an ownership stake. Uh, you know, Josh and I talked about this off air when it happened, and both had the same immediate reaction. It seems very desperate. To give a coach ownership, st- I can't mm-hmm. remember that happening in any in any deal in my lifetime, and I'm 29 years old. That is that is quite a bit. Yeah, and I'm excited to see John Gruden come back to football for nostalgia reasons. But this is, and we deal with this a lot with you know entertainment stuff on Fanside and talking about movies that are coming out that really are playing on your nostalgia, like Star Wars and Jurassic Park and all these movies. Same thing with John Gruden. Okay, everybody thinks that this is a brilliant hire and it is a good hire because you said it when we were talking about it on Sunday off air he's better than Jack Del Rio which is what you want you want to hire better than what you have so that's fine this idea though that John Gruden is going to come in and he is instantly going to turn the 2018 Raiders into what he made the 2002 Buccaneers is fool's gold that's it's misguided okay the, the, a good comparison for John Gruden's second tenure in Oakland, and I'm not saying that it's, not, it's going to be a failure or whatever, but look at what Joe Gibbs' second tenure 
in Washington was like, okay? Legendary head coach in the 80s and 90s, wins, what, three Super Bowls with the Redskins? Great, legendary head coach. Comes back to the franchise when they're kind of in a position that the Raiders are in now, where they're trying to get their footing. They're trying to get into that next era, and they go back to an old legend. And we said this earlier in the year, the danger with going back into nostalgia and grabbing a guy like Gruden, like grabbing a guy like Gibbs, is that the game has passed them by. And I don't want to hear about, oh, John Gruden studies film every single week for Monday Night Football. He's watching to commentate on it. He's not watching to game plan against an opponent. And that's very different. Now, Gruden's a great head coach, and I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, he's just going to go and collect the check and take an ownership stake. But, you know, let's not expect him to all of a sudden turn Derek Carr into the, the quarterback that he's actually never, ever developed in his entire career. The list of quarterbacks he's drafted, Chris Sims, Bruce Gritkowski, Josh Johnson, and the only Raiders quarterback he ever drafted was Marquise Tuiaspa-Sopo or whatever. So Yeah, no, somehow that, that is his name. Yeah, so, like, you think about that. It, it, not to the same degree that we make fun of Bill O'Brien for being a quarterback whisperer for no reason other than he coached Tom Brady. But let's pump the brakes a little bit with John Gruden. Chucky's coming back to Oakland. We're all drunk on nostalgia. Let's, you know, sober up a little bit and realize that it's going to be a bumpy road. They might have a bad season next year, then make the playoffs, then have a bad season, then make the playoffs, or an inverse of that. And that's exactly what Gibbs' tenure was. Yeah, and you mentioned Gibbs. Look, when he first took over the Redskins in 1981, he stayed through 1992. Okay, so he coached Mm -hmm. for 12 seasons. He had one losing season during that time. 1988, the team went 7-9 and off of a Super Bowl win. He won three titles and went to a fourth Super Bowl. Arguably his best team ever, actually, that year. They went 14-2, and two and they set a record for scoring their loss to the Raiders. When he came back in 2004, coach for four years, he had two losing seasons in that stretch. He went 9-7 and seven one year, made the playoffs, lost in the wild card round, went 10-6 and six another, won a wild card game, lost to Seattle. Actually, lost to Seattle both times in the playoffs in those years. Okay, and then and then retired after a nine and seven campaign in two thousand seven. So did he have some success? Yes, but they only finished second or higher once in those four years. They were a last place team twice in the NFC East. So I think it is an apt comparison. Like Gruden, everybody treats him as though he was this tremendous coach. And and give credit where it's due. He won a Super Bowl. Okay, that's extremely rare. It's hard to do. He was a good coach with the Raiders. They made the playoffs twice in his four years, but he wasn't a great coach there. And then when he goes to the Bucs, he won a Super Bowl with what was Tony Dungy and Monty Kiffin's team. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it was. There's no two ways. Gruden's an offensive coach. Kiffin was the driving force behind that defense. And oh, that yeah. year, that defense, I believe, scored 10 touchdowns. Yeah. They, they were unbelievable. Was 11, yeah. It's so, crazy. So, you know, that was a team that was driven off of that. He never won another playoff game after that. Now, am I saying that he's a bad coach? No, I'm not. But I'm saying that he's not a great coach. I think he's a good coach. Do I think he's an upgrade over Del Rio? Yeah, I do. Because I don't think Del Rio is even a good coach. I think he's a very mundane, average, run-of-the-mill coach who never even won a division. Um, but the, I got news. If the Raiders don't fix their problems defensively, they're not winning anything. And Gruden is not a defensive head coach. Gruden is an offensive head coach. So I think he'll fix that offense to some degree. That defense, Reggie McKenzie better get busy figuring out how they're going to fix that defense. Because if he doesn't, they're, they're screwed anyway. Some of the other openings around the league, okay, the Lions, they fired Jim Caldwell coming off a 9-7 and seven season. Caldwell had been to the playoffs two times in four years there, uh, got the ax. I don't have a problem with it. I know some people do. I, you know, To me, I think, I think he's, he was okay, but mm-hmm. I, I don't have a problem with them trying to get better. And they have two assistants who a lot of people want 
and Jim Bob Cooper. Something you probably do know. Progressive can not only offer you a great price when you bundle home and auto, they offer you round-the-clock protection. Something you probably don't know? The average garage door is made up of 1.3-millimeter aluminum panels. Something you probably do know? Your neighbor likes to tinker with his dirt bike. Something you probably don't know? A runaway dirt bike can take out your garage door and a good portion of your car bumper. Bundle your home and auto with Progressive and get more than a great price. Get round-the-clock protection. Something you know for the things you don't know. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and third-party insurers and subject to policy terms. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. And in Terrell Austin. Oh, yeah. And look... Everybody wants to get up in arms about Jim Caldwell, and it's kind of the same thing you're looking at with Gruden, where really the only reason he had a lot of success in Indianapolis is because he inherited a Tony Dungy team that had Peyton Manning on it. So, you know, Tony Dungy, apparently you want to follow him wherever you are, so uh, start filling out applications to be on uh, Football Night in America. Take his spot. You'll be there for years. Um, Look, the Lions' job is intriguing to me because— I feel like of all of the openings, they are the closest to being immediate contenders. You know, you look at whatever's in Indianapolis, it really hinges on what Andrew Luck, that future holds. The Giants, they're going to have to build things up from the ground. That's going to be a process. Arizona, I think they're going to have to blow it up because they really invested a lot in the timeline that Bruce Arians was serving out, and it served its purpose. You know, Carson Palmer, he's at the end of his career. Larry Fitzgerald is at the end of his career. Paul, uh, Arians is out, so that's not really a situation you were looking at if you're a head coach and you're like you're Matt Patricia and you're coming from New England and you want to have some immediate success because if you're coming out of New England, you're going to have to have immediate success just because of where you're coming from and because of the failures of Eric Mangini, Romeo Cronell, all the other guys that have come out of there and haven't been successful. Uh, you know, Charlie Weiss. So, like, um, if I'm Patricia, I'm looking at Detroit, and I'm looking at the defense, which actually wasn't that bad. It was kind of an underrated unit. And I'm saying that that's a pretty good unit. I'm also, if I'm the Lions, I'm looking really hard at Terrell Austin. And I'm looking at, at promoting him. Because, look, you get rid of Caldwell. You can keep Jim Bob Cooter. You promote uh, Terrell Austin. You kind of keep that structure going. And then you're moving forward with a new defensive coordinator. and every, It's got yep. the continuity and enough new things. I agree. I like Austin a lot there. You mentioned the Colts. I think the Colts are going to go with one of the Chiefs' assistants. Um, Dave Tobe has been a, a candidate for years around the league. as mm. a special teams guy. A lot of times special teams coaches don't get a chance, but I think Tobe does. John Harbaugh famously was a special teams coach under Randy Reed. He got a shot. He did okay. I think Tobe will... <laughs> I think Tobe will eventually get a job. I actually think he will go to Indianapolis. It's not inside information. It's just a hunch. Uh, Chris Ballard is a GM there. He was with the Chiefs previously, so take for that what you will. Um, beyond that, you know, the Cardinals, they're, they're tough. I don't know what the Cardinals are going to do. I don't know if the Cardinals are going to try for an offensive coach. I mean, that's what Arians was, if they're going to go defensive. The Cardinals are kind of in a weird spot. It's an interesting job opening. I think the Giants, some people have dogged that opening. I actually think it's the best opening out there. Look, first of all, that team is talented. You look at them and say, well, they were doing, you know, what, 3-13 and 13 this year. Hey, look, I'm a Chiefs fan. I remember when they fired Romeo Cornell and they were 2-14 and 14 and people dogged that team. The second they hired Andy Reid, I, I immediately expected 9 or 10 wins because the Chiefs had six pro bowlers on that roster. They were talented. They just they were horribly coached. And I think that's what happened with the Giants. Eli Manning is older, but he's the perfect bridge for a young quarterback. You draft that young quarterback second overall. You let Manning coach him up for a year. You let Manning play out a little bit longer. And I think that defense, that defense was really good a year ago. It's not all of a sudden changed. You still have the same guys. And Gettleman can draft. He was a terrific evaluator of talent at Carolina. You go look at Carolina's drafts. Gettleman was there. 
Okay, he knows how to bring in talent, and the, and the Giants have high picks all the way through the draft this year. So I think, plus, let's face it, you live, near, you live in or near New York. It's yeah. not exactly the worst situation. I think the Giants, look, I wouldn't be surprised if McDaniels goes there. Mm-hmm. I think that'd be a good fit. I, I like that. Uh, the name you hear float around, we've talked about this off air, Pat- Matt Patricia. I don't particularly get it, and I don't want to dog the guy. I just look, they're 32nd in the league defensively. It's kind of like when, when the Broncos hired Vance Joseph. And you looked and said, oh, my God, Miami's like 24th in the league defensively. Why are they Why are they doing this? And by the way, of all the coaches that stayed, that was the most surprising to me, only because there was so much talk about how he's going to be gone. Always mm-hmm. had enough. Well, he's staying, although they fired every assistant coach that wasn't one of the two coordinators. So do with that what you will. Although, actually, let me amend this. If, if Marvin Lewis stays as head coach of the Bengals, oh, yeah. that one is just... <laughs> They, they basically fired him three weeks ago, and now all of a sudden they beat the, the Ravens in Week 17, and, well, you know, maybe he'll stay. I, I just don't get it. If I was a Bengals fan, I'd be, I'd be just beside myself. At what point have you seen enough of Marvin Lewis? 15 years of this. 15 years so uh, do it that way you will. The, the Bengals and oh and and I want the Bears. The Bears. I, you got to go offensive there. You got Mitchell Trubisky. Uh, you got to develop him. So to me, I would leave Vic Fangio in there as a D coordinator. I think he's done a really nice job. Mm-hmm. I'd bring in a strong offensive mind. Maybe John DeFilippo. You talked about him last time we, we were on the podcast. I think that would be a good fit. I think the Bears have to go offensive here. They have to. And I, as far as Patricia is concerned, he feels to me like a coach that a team might panic and hire. So, like, if, if Cleveland had an opening, and they, they, they might still. We'll, we'll see how that plays out. That seems like a Cleveland hire where you're like, you, you kind of look at the field. Nobody really wants to come to Cleveland. And you're like, oh, let's back up the Brinks truck to get one of Belichick's guys in here, which didn't work out any of the other times that they've tried it. So we'll, we'll see how it works out this time. But, yeah, the Giants job I do like. I think McDaniels is going to get it. We'll see how it play. With that, I wonder if we're going to see how well-liked Eli Manning is in the locker room. How much do guys want to play for him in what is essentially going to be his farewell tour? Okay, Do they value all of the years that he spent there? And does, has he left enough of an impact on the guys there, particularly the newer guys, particularly Odell Beckham Jr., if he stays? Um, how do they play for him? knowing that 2018 is probably his last rodeo. Do we see a season where the Giants do get a new head coach and become the quote-unquote Rams of 2018? Prepare yourself for that cliche as we move further into the offseason. People trying to identify who the next Rams are going to be. That could be the Giants. We could see them go from worst to first in terms of making the playoffs, giving Eli one last run, and even kind of like shining him up to hit free agency and then be a veteran guy who goes out and gets a job in a transitional place. Maybe Jacksonville is still that place next year. We don't know. Um, but yeah, the Bears job, they got to go offensive heavy. And please, for the love of God, football gods, listen to us and open up the Cleveland job. Do not keep Hugh Jackson. Please don't do that. Yeah, 131. I don't care. I don't care who he's coaching. 1 and 31. You kidding? Win a game. All right, may win two. Well, that's the logic I was thinking of when they said Vance Joseph was staying. I was writing the piece for fansided.com and I was thinking, look. If Hugh Jackson can go 1-31, why can't Vance Joseph have a second year? What has Vance Joseph ever done to anybody? Hugh Jackson's been dragging the Browns into the depths of football hell for two years, and he's getting a third. Look, and just, it's, a, it's a very quick side, and then we'll go right into the postseason games. The, the next person that tells me 
that Sashi Brown did a good job with that roster. Are you <laughs> kidding me? Just uh. stop. Stop telling me that David and Joku and Jabril... Well, those guys are good players. Who cares? Are you kidding? I mean, what world do you live in? Like Calvin Johnson is a Hall of Fame player. He was on the All-16 Lions. Just because Matt Millen drafted Calvin Johnson doesn't mean he put a good roster on the field. That team is awful. The Steelers basically tried everything they could to give the Browns a win, and the Browns still couldn't do it. They gave up 31 points to nobody. <laughs> I don't even know who's on the field for the Steelers. Hill, Hill and I watched the game on Sunday. It was atrocious. That was the worst football game I've ever seen, and the Steelers scored 31 points, and Kaiser's out there throwing picks. They are horrific. And for all the picks that that team's had, for all the multiple first-round draft picks they've had, for all the times that they have been up toward, if not the top, the, you know, the top two or three overall picks in the draft. Everybody, I don't want to hear about Miles Garrett. Yeah, Miles Garrett's a really good player. He was the number one overall pick. An idiot would have taken Miles Garrett number one overall if they knew anything about the NFL draft. Anybody would have taken him number one overall. The Browns also could have drafted Patrick Mahomes or Deshaun Watson. That's all right. We'll take Deshaun Kaiser and collect some picks. I don't want to hear a word about Sashi Brown and what a great job he did and he got wronged. They went 1-31 and 31 in the two years he was over, overseeing that team. 1-31. and 31. And they would have went 0-32 if the Chargers didn't miss a field goal at the end of the game. It was like a 38-yard field goal. They are a whisker from going 0-16 in back-to-back <laughs> years and people are defending Sashi Brown. It's, it's unbelievable to me. It really is. I, I can't believe anybody with a nominal amount of, of knowledge about the NFL, would think that a guy who put together that roster deserves to stay for another year. Well said. <laughs> I can't open up another vein about the, with the Browns. They're not in the playoffs. We don't have to talk about them until we start talking about the draft. So and here's our Browns vacation. <laughs> All right, so enough about the Browns. Let's talk about teams that are un-Browns-like. Finally, Wild card weekend in the NFL. Two games Saturdays, I mentioned four. Two games on Sunday. We'll just go right down the list here, starting with the early game. We'll give you the line. Then we'll go in depth. We'll talk about each game here for a good you know, 10 minutes or so. We'll really get into it. So, Saturday at 420 Eastern, that is when I will be taking a volume. It is the Titans at the Chiefs. Arrowhead Stadium is the site. Now, everybody always talks about how big of a home field advantage that is. The Chiefs are 0-5 in the last five playoff games at Arrowhead Stadium. They have not won there since 1993 when Joe Montana was the quarterback. That being said, if you look at history, the Chiefs were usually not the better team in those games going in. They were underdogs in some of them. This time, they're a nine-point favorite. The line opened uh, in most places at seven. It's climbed considerably. Uh, Josh, I'll let you lead off here. What stands out to you looking at this wild card matchup? Well, you said that the Chiefs are winless in their playoff games at home here. They're also 0-1 against Marcus Mariota. So there's that. Uh, we re- I remember watching that game uh, last year with you. And you mentioned this too when I brought it up, though, because that was kind of an anomaly where Andy Reid, if he doesn't call a timeout, the Chiefs don't lose that game. So what sticks out to me here is – and I said this a few weeks ago, and it's going to be true as we look at these matchups. It's coach versus coach at this point. Andy Reid, say what you will about his time management, blah, blah, blah. Mike Malarkey is not outsmarting Andy Reid. There's no amount of jet sweeps or whatever that Andy Reid can throw out there where Mike Malarkey is going to catch a break, especially with the way that he's been coaching this team later on in the year. We've said it how many times? You've got DeMarco Murray, you've got Derrick Henry, and you've got Marcus Mariota. 
That is your strength, your core strength of your offense. And they're somehow trying to turn that into a, a, a passing offense. Don't do that. Run behind the offensive line. And we, we've seen at times this year, too, where the Chiefs have struggled against the run. So, look, I'm not saying that the, the Titans are going to get blown out. But I'm just saying, if you want to avoid losing money, don't bet on Tennessee this week. Because I think the Kansas City Chiefs losing streak at home here comes to an end. Yeah, look, you know, I've been all over the place to Chiefs this year because they've been all over the place. But they've been playing much better football the last month. In fact, frankly, I would argue that let's throw out the Week 17 game because they played all their backups. But the three games prior to that, they won at home against Miami, the Chargers, and, and the Raiders. Other than the New England win in Week 1, I think it might have been their most impressive three games to date because they played complete football. They, they mm-hmm. ran the ball really well. They threw the ball really well. And you mentioned the run defense has been porous. And frankly, for, the, for a year and a half straight, it was. Since Week 9, the Chiefs are a top-five team against the run, and that's yeah. because Reggie Ragland's gotten on the field. Mm-hmm. That has been the biggest difference. He's completely changed the way they play against the run. They started swapping out Derek Johnson a little bit. They've kept him fresher. You know, Derek Johnson, a great player, but no longer who he once was after those two torn Achilles. Can't blame him there. You talked about Malarkey and Reed. And for me, whenever I look at games, especially in the postseason, who's got the better coach, who's got the better quarterback? And right now, the Chiefs have a clear advantage at both spots. The game's also at home. Even though the Chiefs are horrible at home in the playoffs over their history, I do think that certainly helps. It, it, it certainly doesn't hurt. Um my problem with the Titans in this game is offensively, the Chiefs typically, the Chiefs have not given up more than 20 points at Arrowhead since the season opener last year. They are very tough at home. Now, they lost to Tennessee last year at home, 1917. You mentioned Andy Reid's timeout cost. If anyone didn't watch that game, the Chiefs were up 17 to 16. I believe it was three or four seconds left. Ryan Suckup uh, attempted a field goal and missed, but Reed had called the timeout right before. Suckup kicked it again, barely went through. He got it, and they won the game. The Chiefs were awful in that game. The Chiefs had a turnover in the end zone. Uh, you know, the, the Chiefs allowed the, the Titans to run up and down the field. I don't expect that to happen in this game. I think the Chiefs are basically going to force Mario to throw. Revis has come over, and he's helped Kansas City. He's not who he once was, but he's better by a mile than anybody they had there previously. Peters is in the midst of the best stretch he's played all year, maybe in his career. Uh, not having Eric Berry certainly hurts, but in this game, I just don't see the Titans being able to muster up much offense. I think the Chiefs are going to choke off Derrick Henry and basically force Mariota to beat him. I don't think that happens. The key here for the Titans, if they want to hold on and have any shot in this thing, they've got to stay ahead of the sticks. They can mm-hmm. knock it in the situations where it's third and nine, third and ten. The Chiefs have been bad against third and long throughout the year. But the Titans are not built to, to take advantage of that. that th- it would be a very long day for Tennessee if they can't stay on schedule. And also, they got to play well in the red zone. Because when they get down there, they got to score seven. And when the Chiefs get down there, and the Chiefs are going to get down there, the Chiefs are going to move the football in this game. they got to hold the Chiefs. Could it happen? Yes. But it's a tough ask. The Chiefs, frankly, are better on both sides of the ball. Yeah, I think this idea that the Chiefs are cursed in the playoffs is we've – kind of eliminated first round jitters out of this. I think they're good enough and they're well coached enough to Introducing Under Armour's Infinity High Sports Bra. Its ergonomic design is molded to support the natural movement of your body. With cord out padding, the better breathability eliminates extra bulk without sacrificing support. And quick dry padding is Under Armour's fastest drying padding yet. When you're lifting heavy, running fast, and pushing yourself further than ever before, 
you need a bra that will help you go that extra mile and make you feel your best. Shop the Infinity High Sports Bra now at UA.com. Pretty much guarantee that they're going to get through this game, unless something crazy happens. But like you said, they've been playing such complete football the last handful of weeks. That's not just going to stop. Although, you know, that being said, they played great, great football for the first five weeks and it stopped on a dime. So, you know, hopefully this isn't a a pattern that repeats for for the Chiefs. But I do think if there's a slip up for them, it's in the second round. It's not going to be against the Titans. Yeah, look, I think there's a few things here that you can look at either way. On third down offensively, Tennessee's 25th in the league. They are going to have to be good on third down in this game. And again, they're going to have to be in third and short, third manageable. Now, one thing I will say is in favor of Tennessee is Tennessee does not take penalties. Uh, Only Carolina took fewer. Tennessee took 85 on the year. The Chiefs took 118. It was the sixth most in the NFL. Now, the Chiefs, if you look, have curtailed that significantly as the year went on. They started out, they were averaging almost a dozen penalties a game the first two months of the year. So they, they have kind of reined that in, but that has been a problem at times. And Travis Kelsey and Marcus Peters are two very emotional guys. They're always good for a personal foul. Um, the one statistic in this game that Tennessee's got to flip, the Chiefs, number two in the league at plus 15 in the turnover differential. Tennessee is tied for 23rd at minus four. If Tennessee loses the turnover, if they lose the turnover battle in this game, they're done. They have no shot. They need to win the turnover battle in this game. I think if it's even or the Chiefs win it, I could see this game getting pretty ugly. I don't think there's anybody on the Titans. I, you know, and I know Dory Jackson's played better as the year has gone on, but that's a rough ask for him against Tyreek Hill one on one. Travis Kelsey, he's probably the best tight end in football, if not certainly the second best. Uh, you know, now the Titans do have a great safety in Kevin Barrett. Eight interceptions, led the league this year. He's going to have to be a big time playmaker. Uh, Danny Kelly over at the Ringer wrote a piece on it. R- really well done. I'd, I'd suggest checking it out. Um, and the Titans do get a lot of sacks. Top five in the league, I believe, this year uh, in terms of getting pressure on the quarterback and, and getting to the quarterback. In fact, uh, over the course of the year, they had they were fifth in the league, tied for fifth, uh, 43 sacks. They don't have any one guy who's a big-time sack artist, but Brian Arakpo, Derek Morgan, uh, Wesley Woodyard, actually, a underrated middle linebacker, got five sacks in the year so they can get after you they run a zone blitz the Chiefs are not good with the zone typically uh but I just think the talent disparity here is is too significant yeah I mean I'm, I'm taking the Chiefs to win here and it's going to be people might end with saying oh this is a good experience for Mariota and everything like that I guess the question maybe we can wrap this matchup up with is what's the future for Malarkey do they keep him I mean assuming they're going to lose do they keep Malarkey and keep going forward with this or do they pull a situation where they're like look is there a scenario in which the loss is either bad enough that they're like no Malarkey's not the guy or just simply losing and saying we can definitely go out and get somebody that can develop Mariota or do they do they keep rolling with him moving forward I think they keep rolling for another year. And I, and I don't know necessarily it's a move. I think it's the right move. But it's tough to fire a guy off, off a playoff season. They did go 9-7. and seven. They did get in. I think they're one of the weakest playoff teams in, in recent memory. Uh, and for the record, by the way, I'm taking the Chiefs to win. And, and frankly, also to cover. I think the Chiefs are going to win this game by double digits. I don't think it's necessarily like a full-on full blowout. I don't, I don't think it's 34-10. to 10. I think it's something along the lines of maybe 27-16. You know, the Titans hang around for a little bit. The Chiefs put them away early on in the fourth quarter. I, I think I think this is a game where the Titans just simply don't have enough offense. Mariota's throwing more picks than he has touchdowns. And I think Mariota 
needs to be better going forward, and that's why I think you do consider Malarkey going. But I, I think it's tough to fire him off of, off of a playoff year when your team hasn't been there in a decade. Um, so that's that's where I stand. But we both have the Chiefs uh, moving on and facing either New England or Pittsburgh in the divisionals, which would all of a sudden be a pretty interesting matchup. So, moving on. Second game, Saturday night, the nightcap. Atlanta at the Rams. The Rams are favored by six. That line's been around five and a half, six all week long. You know, I got to say, I have been incredibly impressed by the Rams all year long. I think Aaron Donald might be the best player on the defensive side of the ball in the league. Okay, Todd Gurley is an MVP candidate. Jared Goss been very good. Sean McVay, we all know how good he's been. The Rams are a very exciting team to watch. And, and I think certainly for real. I don't think this is a fluke. I think they can play. Uh, but this is a tough match with the Falcons. The Falcons, they're the one team that's returning to the NFC playoffs. So uh, you're an NFC South man yourself. What, what do you see coming out of this game? The fear with Atlanta is what are you, what are you going to get out of Matt Ryan? And I don't think he's at the level right now where we are with Phillip Rivers, where you just don't know what you're going to get. It's kind of it's a little bit a little bit lighter than that. But you look at what he did against New Orleans on that Thursday night game where he could not stop turning the ball over. And they won that game, but a lot of that, I think, had to do with Alvin Kamara going out on the first series of the game, and that kind of changed the way that the, the, the Saints offense worked. Uh, and he also it came down to a weird, you know, the Sean Payton choke thing and weird calls at the end of the game. But if Matt Ryan goes into the, this playoff game and he is unable to get his turnovers under control – that's bad news. And if there's a team, a defense that I don't want a shaky quarterback going up against on the road, it's that Rams defense. Really, really, really good. Uh, Janoris Jenkins, we're probably going to see him get some, uh, have some fun with whatever Ryan throws out there. Everybody wants to make a big deal about Julio Jones, and I think it needs to be stated. It is fair to say that the Falcons have been there before, which is kind of a trope that I don't really like, but they have. And this, the Rams have not. And we, uh, we, the criticism of the Eagles that I've always had is that Carson Wentz is first-year quarterback in the playoffs. I mean, he's not going to be playing, but if he was. Doug Peterson's never coached as a head coach in the playoffs. That matters. And that matters for Los Angeles, too. Sean McVay, coach of the year, has turned that team around, has never been in this situation before. Dan Quinn and the Falcons have. I don't think that that's enough for them to win. But the Falcons, they scare me. Because if there's a team that we've established that the NFC is basically one tier, I think that the Falcons are, you know, rightfully so, at the bottom of that, that pool. And I don't think that they're going to have any kind of waves made in the playoffs. But I'm taking Los Angeles in this one. I do like the offense. I do like the defense. It's going to be close. But I do like Los Angeles. This is, of the four games, the game I feel most confident about is the one we just talked about. Yeah. The game I feel least confident about is this game. I don't know what to expect because the Falcons have been so inconsistent. Mm-hmm. They've had games where they've looked terrific. They've had other games where they've looked comatose. You mentioned it, Matt Ryan, you know, after an MVP year, you just never know what you're getting. Now, the funny thing is, he's actually thrown for more yardage than Jared Goff has this year. So, you know, you factor that in. Julio Jones is the best player on, on their offense, of course, over 1,400 yards. The Rams don't have a receiver with 900 yards. That being said, Todd Gurley's had an incredible year. Devonta Freeman... He's averaging 4.4 yards a carry, but he's had to split time with Tevin Coleman, really kind of a two-headed monster, and they've done well, 12 touchdowns between them. When you look at these two teams, the explosive plays, they're about the same. Sacks against, about the same. 
Rams have a little bit better of a pass rush, but the Falcons not bad, 39 sacks on the year. And, of course, uh, Donald being the guy who's leading the charge, the only player on either side with more than uh, 10 sacks. So when I break it down, I look at it, I say, well, what is the biggest difference between these two teams? And I don't see a huge one. The one I do see, though, is the Falcons only have eight interceptions on the year. So they've struggled to turn teams over in that regard. The Rams, they have 18. That matters, especially since Matt Ryan has thrown a lot of picks this year. Mm-hmm. That said, and I, and I, I hate to do it because I like the Rams a lot. I just I have I have faith in the Falcons in a playoff game. I know that you know twenty eight to three and all that, but yeah. I, I, I like their experience in this game. They, you know, I hate to say it, too. I don't think the Rams have a, a great home field advantage. I don't think people seem to care in Los Angeles. Uh, I'm taking the Falcons to win in what I think is going to be a great game. I think it's going to be up and down, high scoring, even though the defenses are both good. I think the offenses will have their way. And I also think the Falcons are looking at this game and thinking, if we win this game, we're going to Philly. Mm-hmm. And if there's one team in the NFC right now, that you want to play, it sounds weird to say this about a 13-3-1 seed, it's Philly. Nick Foles is terrible. Yeah. Like I said, this is the game I have the least amount of confidence in. I would, If you asked me in 20 minutes, I might pick the Rams. But I'm just going with experience. I don't know how Goff's going to react in this situation. Ryan's a more accurate quarterback. So give me the Falcons in what I think is going to be a terrific game. Falcons are the most efficient third down offense in the playoffs right now. So if that is, I think they converted to something around like 44% of their third downs. And I believe that Los Angeles is allowing 37% of third down conversions. So like you said, that kind of highlights how close to the middle both of these teams are. And, you know, I just wanted to point that out because on the one hand, you do have the Matt Ryan interceptions, which in the playoffs, small things like that get magnified. He has another three interception game in the playoffs. You're, there's a good bet he's not winning that game. At the same time, to kind of highlight what you were saying about you have faith in the Falcons, converting 44% of your third downs, that's big too. That's a big stat in the playoffs. So if you keep drives moving along against a, a Rams defense that maybe comes out a little bit too amped up, maybe gasses itself a little too early. Uh, you know, We saw them against the Eagles. They ran out of gas at the end of the Eagles game after Carson Wentz went out, and that's when perfect scenario for them to pounce on the Eagles, and they weren't able to do it. So, yeah, I, I, I do like the Falcons. I do think that they are a team that maybe could go on a run, but I, I just I feel like the Rams, they have enough going for them right now that, it, you know, and that Rams, they, they're going to be something fun to watch. Yeah, look, the Rams, one of the biggest matchups in this game to watch, and there's no question, Julio Jones, Tremaine Johnson. Mm-hmm. Tremaine Johnson's not going to shut him out by any means. Nobody does. But Tremaine Johnson, who, by the way, slated to be a free agent this year, He's got to hold him in check. If Jones is one of these games where he goes for 200 yards, good night. Um, I, I will be very interested to see how it all shakes out. I am fascinated by the game. Uh, but I, I do think that experience in the playoffs, it does matter. And yeah, we'll, see. we'll see. But like you said, I would not be shocked at all if the Rams won the game. I think, it's a, I think it's a coin flip game, more so than any other game on the weekend. And so now we'll move on to the Sunday games. Jacksonville hosting Buffalo. That's a game you didn't see coming week one. Jacksonville is home, and they are favored by nine points. Same as Kansas City. Jacksonville, the line started out uh, right around eight points, eight and a half. It's climbed a little bit. Initially, actually went down. Now it's shot back up. 
I don't know that you can make a case for the Bills in this game that doesn't involve Blake Bortles just having a meltdown. Because to be fair to Jacksonville, the defense is tremendous. You, you were on that from, from Jump Street. Uh, they've been great, arguably the best defense in the league. And they do not give up passing yards. And when you look at the Bills, who is catching the ball in this game? Who is going to get open? I wouldn't be shocked if Tyrod Taylor doesn't hit 150 receiving or 150 passing yards in this game. Uh, so take that for what it's worth. Jacksonville, I think, as long as they don't turn the ball over consistently, pick sixes, stuff like that, I think Jacksonville is going to win going away. I think it's great the Bills are back in the playoffs, but this is a this is not a good matchup for them. It really isn't. Um, but uh, Hill, Hill, what is your uh, what is your thought on this? What concerns me about the Jaguars is the way that they ended the season. So you go and they have that bloodbath game against the 49ers, and then they play the Titans in Week 17. And going into the playoffs with back-to-back losses like that, it's not ideal. And I'll also highlight another stat, which is that the Jaguars are, among playoff teams, the most penalized defense. With over, I mean, so, you know, Arizona, Houston, Miami, not in the playoffs. Jacksonville with over a thousand yards in penalties on defense alone. That is something, you know, you talk about these little things that flare up. Look at the Seattle game and how they just lost their mind at the end of that game. And then look at, which carried over into the San Francisco game where they lost their mind and then they're fighting people on the field. They actually, they lost that game because of a penalty at the end of the game because it was a stupid personal foul. And then I, I didn't watch the, the Week 17 game close enough to see what their penalties were like there. But just that mentality, if it is two out of your three last games where you just can't keep your cool, that's the type of thing where, you know, we're, we're dealing with a close game. Maybe it's 17-10, maybe it's 21-10, and, you know, Malik Jackson's getting into somebody's face, you know, and it's, it's this big thing, and he's getting a 15-yard penalty, and that keeps a drive going. That, you know, Tyrod Taylor's scrambling around, throws a ball downfield, it's incomplete, but, you know, somebody came up and, you know, really hit him good at the end of that play to really, you know, send a message, but also get a penalty. 15 yards, boom, drive keeps going. That concerns me, uh, not as much as the Blake Bortles factor does, but that's so overplayed at this point. It's like, look, Blake Bortles is not a good quarterback. If you think he's a good quarterback, please get a new prescription for your glasses. Invest in contacts. Invest in a new television set. Perhaps find a new sport to root for because he is not a good quarterback. And... I think that they win this game for the reasons that you stated. It's the Bills. It's just a bad matchup. It's great that they're back. It's a wonderful story. Uh, you want to talk about, you know, I was right about the Jaguars. Yes, we were both wrong about the Bills. We said that beginning of the season, we were making fun of them. How they're going to tank. They're going to get all the draft picks. We were excited for their future, but this is a big step forward for them. I just, I don't see enough with Buffalo to believe that they're going to win. No, and I think, look, if McCoy was healthy for this game, you don't. Underdog Fantasy is the fastest-growing fantasy app and easiest place to play fantasy sports. Just jump on underdogfantasy.com or download the app, draft your team, and that's it. And if drafts aren't your thing, they also have a pick'em game where you can win 20 times your money in a single night. Use promo code RADIO, and Underdog will double your first deposit when you sign up with up to $100 in bonus cash. Deposit $100? Get $100 free. That's promo code RADIO. Terms and conditions apply. At least have that angle of, hey, maybe he goes crazy because the Jacksonville defense is not good against the run. But he's a game-time decision, and it sounds like even if he plays, he's going to be extremely limited. And the Bills, really, I mean, their whole offense goes through him. Back to Bortles quickly. Like Everybody looked at that three-game stretch against Indy, Seattle, and Houston, all home games. 
And he was great. He, he eclipsed 300 yards twice. He had seven touchdowns and no picks. And everybody started talking about how great he looks. The last two games, not so. He's thrown five picks over the last two games. Okay, against Tennessee, he was 15 to 34 for a buck 58. Completed 44% of his throws, 4.65 yards per attempt. Okay, and against the Niners, he threw for 382 yards. We did it on 50 throws, and a lot of that was in garbage time. Mm-hmm. Okay, he's not good. And, and I think Jacksonville can, will win this game because I don't think Buffalo is going to hit 14 points. And I think Jacksonville will do enough. Uh, but, you know, look, that's a concern. And, and I also think, frankly, without getting into the next round, because we're not there yet, but I also think that's why they're going home in the divisionals. Because I, you're going to tell me he's beaten Roethlisberger Mm-mm. or Brady in January. And I, I've had so many Jaguars fans tell me, well, it's, you know, look, you already beat Roethlisberger. Come on. 95 he yards. He 95 <laughs> yards in that game. And Jacksonville picked off Roethlisberger five times in a two-pick six. Now, if you think that's going to happen again, God bless you. Okay? I'm not, I'm not falling for that. Uh, the other concern I have, Fournette's been banged up as the year has gone along. Okay? He, he, he eclipsed 1,000 yards, but he averaged only 3.9 yards a carry. And if you look at his year, he had a stretch there in, in, from mid-October to mid-December. He had three games, went over 111 yards. Since... Since Thanksgiving, 25 yards, 57 yards, 101, 48, 69. And in, and in three of those games I just reeled off, had two point something yards per attempt. Ooh. Not good. Their offense is, is on fumes. I'm very worried about that if I'm a Jaguars fan. But I do think they win. Uh, I don't think they cover. I actually I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. I think yeah. it's something like 19, 13, yep. somewhere in there. Uh, and you know what? If you're a Bills fan, look. If you win this game, awesome. Good for you. You're going to New England. Let's, let's face it. It's last rights at that point. But, but it is. But you know what? If you lose this game by 40 points, you had a great year. You had a fun year. You had a great moment when they made the playoffs. Okay? Bills fans should be really happy about the job Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean did outside of that whole Peterman fiasco there for a week. But enjoy it. Watch this game. You have nothing to lose. If you win, awesome. If you lose, nothing lost. You got two first-round picks next year. You'll be all right. Okay, so let's move on to the final game. We'll wrap up with some final thoughts after that. Carolina's at New Orleans. It's the only matchup of the weekend that these teams have seen each other already. And, of course, they've seen each other twice. New Orleans swept the games. Uh, One in week three at Carolina. Got their first win of the year. Never looked back. Uh, And so they saw each other week three. They saw each other week 13. Uh, the first game was 34 to 13. Second game, 31 21. Uh, the Saints are home and they're favored by six and a half. Both teams finishing the year 11 and five. I, I like the Saints in this game, and I know it's hard to beat a team three times in a year. And Carolina certainly you got to respect them. I think you know to be fair, I've kind of undersold them all year long. Cam Newton just does nothing for me as a quarterback in a lot of ways, uh, but. I think they're a good team. They've got a good defense, but they've given up 30-plus points in each of these games against New Orleans. I don't see that changing. The, the Saints just match up well with them, and I think, I think the Saints are going to get the job done. And we, you know, we'll get into more of it in a second, but Hill, what, your thoughts on the game? I, yeah, the Saints, they have all the makings to make this happen for a third time, and it's very hard to beat a team twice, let alone three times. But you just look at what Carolina has, and it all comes down to Cam Newton. And I don't think that 
I don't think he's going to provide enough of what they need to counteract whatever Ingram and Kamara are going to do. Now, do I think that Ingram and Kamara might run out of gas at some point during this postseason stretch? It's possible. But I just don't think that that's going to happen against Carolina, especially against a defense that they're seeing for a third time. Now, that also works for Carolina, too, because, you know, you could say, well, they're seeing Kamara and Ingram for a third time. At some point, they're going to have to figure it out. Law of averages, they're going to figure it out. I don't know. I, I, I just, I'm not confident about the Panthers at all. And it, it, it's a little bit like the Bills, you know? It's a little bit, it's a step up from there for me with Carolina in that I wasn't expecting too much heading into the season. They trade Calvin Benjamin in the middle of the year. Man, still got to the playoffs? Man, still got to the playoffs. You could still play him in the Super Bowl. There he goes. That would be, <laughs> that would also, frankly, no offense to anybody, that would be the worst, It'd be the worst Super Bowl like, ever. No, thank you. Um, they, they'd bring out Jake DeLome for that one. They'd be like, let's just do it. Um, no, look, Carolina, good season. They, I've, I just don't know. I want to say that they have a lot to look forward to, but it seems like this is every single year for them. It's like you put together a good year, but you don't really have a whole lot to show for it. We know you're probably going to be around hanging in there in the contention next year, but for me, the Saints, they are a blueprint for what you can do in an offseason if everything goes right. Great draft. They have a great draft. Uh, you know, they have great free agency. The Adrian Peterson, Peterson thing aside, they get all the breaks that they need on defense. And then most importantly, and this is going to be key when thinking about the Saints moving forward, they can adjust better than any team in football right now. And nothing highlights that more than the eight-game win streak that they went on after starting the season 0-2. They start awful we're like this is the end sean payton drew Brees. it was nice i remember i was saying that after the second week i was like it's curtains for these guys let's remember it for what it was not what it is and now all of a sudden they are the team that could legitimately go to the super bowl Brees has been there payton's been there kamara and ingram are firing at the right time they have everything just like how they got everything right in the offseason they have all of the check marks of a team you're looking at who gets hot at the right time finds the right path to the super bowl and takes it. So I love the Saints in this game. I think that they're going to win, and they they remain my team to beat in the NFC. I'm with you. Uh, we've we've been on them all year long. I think the Saints are, are big time. I think they're a very tough team to beat. And looking at some of the numbers against Carolina this year, both times they played them, the, the Saints rushed for you know, 150 some odd yards, 5.3 yards a carry, 5.5 yards a carry. Both times Cam Newton didn't hit 200 yards passing. So I, I, to me. That screams not a good matchup. You, you simply do not play well against New Orleans. Now, look, Carolina, give them credit. Like, they win this game and they end up going to Philly. I'm taking Carolina. Oh, game. yeah. Now, anyone who listens and, and is an Eagles fan, I'm sorry. I ain't taking anybody that goes in Philadelphia <laughs> the way Foles looks. Foles is so bad that Doug Peterson during his press conference left the door open for Nate Sudfeld to come in <laughs> at some point, which that's oh, not God. good. If Nate Sudfeld, if the door is open for that, dear God. Um, I think the Saints are a really good team, and I just I have a lot of faith in them. I think, I think they are because of that coach quarterback combination. I think they're, they're the favorite in the NFC. If there was one, it's a very stacked, even conference. But the Saints, I'll tell you, like if you're an AFC team, who do you not want to see? You don't want to see them because Breeze can light you up. Peyton has mm-hmm. been there. The other team I would throw in there too is the Vikings because yeah. of that defense. Oh yeah, and and they'd be at home. Yeah. Like, it's, you know, that would be, that'd be nuts. Um, all right, so we've covered the games. Let's go quickly here. We've got a few minutes. 
we don't know, of course, who's going to win these games. We we picked and we've all, you know, we you went what you went all favorites. Mm-hmm. I went every I went three favorites and one dog in the Falcons. Um, of the potential divisional round matchups, either conference, which one would you want to see the most? Which one would get you in front of the TV with the bag of chips and a beverage the most? Oh, oh that one's a tough one. Um, I think that if I, I, it's, it's like what you're saying. I just, I'm fascinated with what is going to happen in Philadelphia. I, just, I want to see that happen because there's a chance that they're able to win and get to the NFC title game, and I don't know if that's actually a good thing because then they're probably going to run into Minnesota and that's going to be a buzzsaw that they don't want. They're not prepared for. Um, I'm really interested in seeing if, uh, so let's say Jacksonville wins, and then they go back to Pittsburgh, right? Yeah. They would go to Pittsburgh. They would go to Pittsburgh. I'm interested in seeing how that goes with that defense and the way that I want to see, is Antonio Brown healthy? Is he able to come back? Because that pass defense for Jacksonville is how they're going to win. And I feel like every single year in the playoffs, we think this is you know indicative of the season itself. We think we know how things are going to go, myself included, saying, oh, yeah, I'm picking all the favorites. But, you know, there's always one game that absolutely does not go the way that we expected. And I think that we're saving that for the divisional round. I think that the wild card rounds are going to be – it's going to be fun. We're going to see a lot of great games, a lot of fun games, like you said, different, new. You know, it's, it's really great to see some of these young players, these young coaches, these new teams in the postseason. I think the divisional round – the Pittsburgh game is very interesting to me just because they are a little inconsistent. I don't know, but then they play really well in the playoffs. Also, I just would how awful would it be if the Case Keenum shoe drops for Minnesota in the divisional round? I don't think it's going to, but I have to have my reservations at some point about this team because you think about the Vikings. They, Zimmer's been here before. The team is really good. Everything seems lined up. This isn't a numbers thing. This isn't an analytics thing. This is purely I was born and raised in Minnesota, and I was basically learned from the, as long as I could walk, for as long as I can remember. If something good can possibly happen to a Minnesota sports team, the absolute opposite will happen. You look at the 98 championship game. You look at the 2009 championship game. You look at all those Twins teams, the Wild, the Timberwolves. Nothing good happens to Minnesota sports. And it's just, it's one of those things, it's a hunch. I don't think that the Vikings are a bad team. If I personally like them equally as the Saints. I just feel like as much as everybody wants to hammer this narrative that, oh, the Vikings are going to be the first team in NFL history to host the Super Bowl, I just, I think that, that that crown is way too heavy and the narrative is way too sweet for it to actually play out. Um, but, you know, what about you? What's, what's the divisional game that you'd be most looking forward to? First of all, what was the divisional game you're most looking forward to? Which one are you? Oh, I mean, whoever plays Philadelphia. Whoever plays Philadelphia. Okay, I got you. I got you. Um, and I'm with you on Keenum, by the way. I don't think it's going to happen. I think yeah. Keenum's going to play well. There's, there's two games to me that would be really interesting. If Minnesota draws the Saints, I'd be very interested in that mm-hmm. game. I think that's a fantastic game. Week one matchup uh, that we saw earlier in the year, but Bradford was the quarterback. They're different and the Saints teams. were playing terrible. Yeah. Right, so it's a totally different ball game, even though it's the same two teams involved. I think that'd be awesome. I think it'd be a great game, mm-hmm. and I, I would pick whoever won that game to go to the Super Bowl. I think you know, whoever won would be my favorite out of that. Uh, obviously, my pick being the Saints going in. So I think that would be a fascinating way to get the NFC playoffs uh, really kicked into high gear. On the other side, 
I know if, if chalk holds in the AFC, you're looking at two rematches. Yeah. Okay. The Jacksonville-Pittsburgh rematch does nothing for me because Bortles does nothing for me. I just simply can't. Look, maybe Jacksonville goes in there and beats them again. I just, I can't see it happening. Mm-hmm. I, I Bortles would have to play so much better, and there's no indication that he's ever going to play so much better. So, forgetting even my fandom for a minute, which anyone who listens knows is, is in allegiance to Kansas City, sadly. Um, I would be fascinated to see the Chiefs and the Pats play again. Yeah. Th- those two teams have had a recent history that makes that game very interesting. They played in 2014. The Chiefs won in that famous Monday night game at Arrowhead. You know, the whole on to Cincinnati thing and then eventually on to the Super Bowl for New England. The following year, they played each other in the playoffs. The Chiefs went in there with, with basically half the team on IR and lost by a touchdown. It was a pretty interesting game. And then they don't play last year. They play this year. Everybody's talking about New England going 16-0 going into the season. The Chiefs went up there and put up 540-some-odd yards on and beat them 42-27. to But, and here's the big but, Eric Berry shut down Gronkowski in that game. Eric oh, yeah. Berry is not shutting him down this time. Who can cover Gronkowski? Did the Chiefs roll two guys? Did the Chiefs say, screw it, we'll let him have 100 yards, we don't care, we're going to shut down everybody else? I'm fascinated to see Brady and Peters. The first time they met each other, uh, in this season, Brady only threw it him once. It was an incomplete pass. Would he throw it him more this time around? That would be very interesting to watch. Revis back in New England against his old teammates. That would be interesting to watch. Uh, and, and honestly, I want to see Belichick with what I feel is a, is a pretty bad defense, frankly. I want to see him scheme against Hunt, Hill, and Kelsey. Ooh. I want Reed with those three guys against Bill Belichick, and I want to see who wins. I got to be honest. The Chiefs against Pittsburgh, give me Pittsburgh all day long. The Chiefs against Jacksonville, I don't know. You know, it's a weird matchup. It would be interesting. Although Bortles, I, I don't think I could pick them. The Chiefs in New England, that to me is a coin flip. And that game, by the way, they, we already know when that game would be played because New England's hosting on Saturday night on NBC. So it would be the second time in the season the Chiefs would be in prime time at night <laughs> in Foxborough on NBC. It would just... Wow. I don't know who I'd pick in that game, and it really genuinely is not because I'm a Chiefs fan. God knows if you listen, I pick against the Chiefs plenty. I just, it's a bad matchup for New England. Just like the Pittsburgh Steelers are a horrible matchup for Kansas City, it's a bad, bad matchup for New England. I think the Pats would have to try to, you know, I guess the easiest way to put this is Belichick always picks a guy on the other team and says, we're shutting him down. He is not beating us, and he's, and he's made a career out of that. But at some point, your personnel only goes so far. Mm. And they don't have Dunt the Hightower either. It was they had in week one. How do you make a radio ad for an 8K TV that conveys the feeling of 33 million pixels with over a billion shades of color hitting your eyeballs? This is the best we can do. Samsung Neo QLED 8K. Unreasonably good. Okay. So who would they shut down? Now, they shut Kelsey down week one, but Hill and Hunt went nuts. To the point that Hunt was on Sports Illustrated's cover the following week. So, would they try to shut down Hunt? Would they try to shut down Hill? Would they shut down Kelsey again? I mean, you're not shutting down all three of those guys. So, it'd be interesting. I would really just like to see that matchup. I certainly think you know, New England would be favorites, and, and rightfully so. But that would be a game that I think would be very intriguing going into it. So, Saints-Vikings in the NFC, I'd love to see. Chiefs-Pats in the AFC Divisionals, I, I just think would be awesome television. 
Well, we got away from dying on this hill a little bit this season, but the hill that I'm going to die on here, we're bringing it back for the playoffs. Uh, the Saints are going to the NFC title game. They're going to beat Carolina, and they're going to beat Minnesota. And I'd just like to clarify that the game that I'm looking forward to with the Philadelphia angle is I'm just fascinated to see what happens with that because the Nick Foles thing and everything like that. The game that I would sit down and absolutely just block off my day is Vikings-Saints. Because that is, I legitimately think that the Saints can make it to the Super Bowl. And if they beat Minnesota, like realistically, so if they beat Minnesota, that would mean that uh, Los Angeles or uh, Atlanta. Yeah. So you're looking at the Vikings can beat any of those teams. I don't think that they can beat New Orleans. And I think that that's going to be something to watch. That might be where the shoe drops. Maybe not because Keenum plays a bad game, but maybe because the Saints are just better. I mean, I think they could beat him, but I I would... Say I take the Saints in a nail biter, but man, you know, if you're if you're the Vikings, you're hoping and nothing against the Rams. The Rams are an excellent team, no. but you just match up better. I, I think if you're the Vikings, you want the Rams to win. And frankly, at that point, you're probably sending the Saints to Philly. And if you're Philly, you that is the one scenario more than any, you want no part of that. No. <laughs> you know the one weakness defensively Philly has is their corners. You want no part. But Bree's going in there, throwing the ball. And I know that Saints typically have not been a good cold-weather team, but it's different this year. They're good defensively. They can run the ball. Nick Foles against that defense, have fun. I, look, I think, for me, I would love to see, like I said, Saints-Vikings, which if my predictions come through, we would see that. And Chiefs-Pats, which again, if my predictions hold it, both of our predictions hold it, mm-hmm. we see Chiefs-Pats. So, with that being said, Week 17 in the books, the regular season's in the books, 20 teams are at home, 12 go on. The Super Bowl, perhaps more wide open this year than in any time I can remember. Really, you know, you could make a case. You could almost make a case for nine of these teams in the playoffs, I mean, eight or nine of these teams that have a real shot to win the Super Bowl. You really do. So it's awesome. Enjoy Wild Card Weekend. For Josh Hill, I'm Matt Verderam. This has been Stacking the Box. Please subscribe on iTunes if you haven't already. Give us a rating. Give us a comment. Uh, We look forward to coming back after Wild Card Weekend, maybe having a few coaching vacancies filled, and knowing who the Elite Eight are as we go towards Super Bowl 52 in Minneapolis. Enjoy the week, and certainly enjoy the weekend. Underdog Fantasy is the fastest-growing fantasy app and easiest place to play fantasy sports. Just jump on underdogfantasy.com or download the app, draft your team, and that's it. And if drafts aren't your thing, they also have a pick'em game where you can win 20 times your money in a single night. Use promo code RADIO, and Underdog will double your first deposit when you sign up with up to $100 in bonus cash. Deposit $100? Get $100 free. That's promo code RADIO. Terms and conditions apply.